Bibles to Mark chapter 9. We're going to be continuing our uh, five-week series, five-week study on discipleship. Remember last week, Jesus was ministering to the crowds for the first section of the Gospel of Mark. And now, starting last week with the first message of this five-part series, Jesus is going to be focusing primarily on going to Jerusalem. That's what he's doing. He's going to Jerusalem. He's testified in the countryside. He's testified by traveling around that, you know, he's the Messiah. By fulfilling the scriptures, going to synagogues, meeting with people, talking with people, casting out demons, healing the sick. And now he's going to be going to Jerusalem. That's what he has his sights set on so that in Jerusalem he can, he can testify of who he is. The journey up to Jerusalem, this five weeks that we're looking at right now, it is Jesus going to Jerusalem, but he's also focusing intently on uh, preparing his disciples for the work that they're going to have after he leaves. So these stories and these, these events that happen, these are... These are events that, that are a little bit more intense than the disciples have experienced before. What was one of the intense events that happened last week in one of the first steps of Jesus preparing his disciples? You guys remember? The transfiguration. I would say that was an event. I would say Jesus revealing himself in all his glory is quite the event. To these three, you would say, have you guys ever heard the term before, mountaintop experience? You would say that they had a mountaintop experience. And what is the case many times after you come down the mountain? Does anybody want to throw anything out there? You come back down to the ground. That's exactly what we're going to see today in this part two message of these five messages. So let's go ahead and go to the Lord and pray and see what he has for us today. God, we want to be your disciples. We believe, just like last week, God, we believe, we submit. We want to hear your voice. We want to be instructed in truth and in righteousness so that we could be your light so that we could be different, so that you can reveal yourself to others, God. So you can reveal yourself to our friends, to our families, to our co-workers, that it would be genuine and that it would be real. We love you, Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I don't know, I don't want to put anybody on the spot, but there were four things that we talked about last week in in the first in the first bible study discipleship denial or deny does anybody happen to remember at all what those are confess you guys are raising your hands you guys are awesome just shout it out confess is the first believe submit reveal excellent you guys are awesome that's the process that's the beginning stages. That's the beginning process of becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ. And it's most of the time when God reveals himself to us that he becomes real to us that we start 
on this journey of walking with him, which is what this journey is going to look like with his disciples. They've been with him a lot. They've seen a lot. But this is going to be a special time. It's different as they're walking with Jesus to go to Jerusalem. Let's pick up in chapter 9, verse 14. And when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. Immediately, when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered and said, teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And whenever it, wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashing his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. Interesting. Remember, Jesus is absent. He's with the other three. They've just had a mountaintop experience. And as they come down from the mountain... From Jesus' revelation of himself to them, the first thing, they, they're not even all the way down. The first thing they experience is opposition. Why is it that we as believers, as we start to take those steps of faith in faith, it seems that as soon as we start to make any kind of progress in our relationship with the Lord, there's some kind of opposition. Do you know Why? Because we have an enemy. Any progress that you make, spiritually speaking, in maturity or otherwise, the enemy wants to frustrate. This morning, we're going to look at three things that the enemy tries to do to frustrate the progress that the disciples are starting to make as they begin their journey to Jerusalem. Note the first one. What's the first one? The enemy is revealing himself in opposition through the scribes. Let's read it again. And when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. You know, one of the first things that comes to mind is that when we think of spiritual warfare or we think of opposition, we think of uh, the unseen many times, you know, a feeling of darkness, a feeling of oppression, a feeling of a visual, of, uh, I was going to say obsession, but that's possession. You seeing possession, oppression. And that's, that's evident, you, you know, but, but, but it's not so much tangible. But sometimes... We not only do not see what it what the uh, what the spiritual warfare is, but we it's manifested through other people. You do not fight against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in heavenly places. What was Paul trying to teach us when he penned those words by the Holy Spirit? Because you, you, you think that if you have a problem with somebody in particular, you think that your issue is with that person. But in reality, the issue is that person is being influenced by something else. Sometimes, you know, sometimes you don't even know what that influence is, but it's not, apparently, it's not the Spirit of God. 
you being influenced by the Spirit of God respond in that situation, then they're responding to you. They're coming against you. They're trying to fight you. Paul's saying, listen, don't take it personally from them. Know that there's a spiritual warfare that's happening. We don't fight against flesh and blood, against people. We fight against principalities and powers. I like this idea. Consider for a second, if you will, with me, this idea of influence. Again, what are you influenced by? Are you influenced by the Spirit of God? If we are influenced by the Spirit of God, then the things that come from our life will will indicate that, will show that. But if we're not influenced by the Spirit of God, what are we influenced by? And the Spirit of this world, right? If it's not the Spirit of God, then it's the Spirit of this world. And what is the Spirit of this world? The enemy. That's the one verse that comes to mind when we look at the scribes and we see that they're coming against the disciples. And we have to ask ourselves, how are they coming against the disciples? It says that the scribes disputed with them. What could they possibly possibly be saying to Jesus' disciples? I think I have uh, an idea. I don't know for sure, but I think that I know. You know why? First of all, this is, again, some kind of spiritual warfare. It's some kind of oppression. It's some kind of opposition. So how does the enemy work in that capacity? You know how? Accusation. He is the accuser of the brethren. So I would imagine that some of the things that the scribes are saying to the disciples are, oh, you can't handle this without Jesus, can you? Oh, you don't have as much power as you thought you did, do you? Oh, you thought that you could receive this power and anointing from Jesus Christ, and whenever he's not here, you can just do whatever you want? Apparently, you can't. I wonder if you really are even a follower of Jesus Christ. I wonder if that would be manifested, the true, you truly being a follower, it would truly be manifested in your life if you did have the power while he was gone, but you don't. Could you imagine some of the sharp-tongued things that they were saying to the disciples? Is that what happens to us sometimes? We either come down from a mountaintop experience or we're walking in faith in a certain direction to follow the Lord, and all of a sudden there's a voice. Maybe that voice has a face. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe that voice is just in our heads. You're worthless. You call yourself a Christian. You do not have the capacity it takes to love people like Jesus did because you are nobody. Whenever we hear those kind of words, whether it be from a person or, or something that is influencing us or trying to influence us, we can be sure 100% that it is not the Lord. It's the enemy. There's an opposition that's happening. Remember Nehemiah? When Nehemiah is going to rebuild the walls. And he has his men and, they're, and, and all the people, they, they're exhausted and they're, and they're doing the best they can to build the wall. What does the enemy do? The enemy comes and says that he's going to do things like, oh, I'm, we're going to sneak up on you. We're going we're gonna to do this. We're going to do that. You better be careful. You better hide because this is what's coming. 
Did anything ever happen? Did the enemy ever execute any of his threats? No, he did not. You know why? Because the threats of the enemy are empty. They always were and they always will be. So whatever you're going through right now, if there's an oppression that's happening, if there's an opposition that's happening, you could be confident that it's not the Spirit of God that brings accusation and condemn, con- 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 condemnation. I was feeling good this morning, too. But it's the enemy. It's the enemy. You can be confident of that. This is the enemy. So number one, the enemy in the scribes, what they were saying to them, how they were accusing them, the way that they were making them feel. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. Now, there's a different response from the people than typical the reason that they're excited to see him is because there's, there's something happening. There's, it's, it's, it's exciting, you know. They're going to challenge him. They're going to see a different, a different dynamic of Jesus responding to the scribes and to this guy. I wonder if the question was even asked. I would say that it was. I wonder if the question was even asked, even put forth by the scribes, can Jesus even heal this kid? If his disciples couldn't, could he? Oh, there he is! Jesus, come here, hurry up, come on, let's go. First of all, you know, what about this situation? Jesus comes on the scene, and look at this. As we read through this this lesson, we see that Jesus never addresses the disciples. What does Jesus address? Jesus always addresses the opposition. It's not our job to rebuke the enemy. It's our job to cry out to the Lord that he would rebuke the enemy. That's what the scriptures teach us. Even in Jude, the archangel Michael would not bring a railing accusation against the devil when disputing about the body of Moses. But he said, the Lord rebuke you. As Jesus comes, he knows the situation. He doesn't have to pull his guys aside. Hey, disciples, come here. Let's talk a little bit. What's going on? Are you guys okay? How come you're crying? Because we can't cast a demon now like you told us to. We don't know what's wrong. No, he says, hey, you scribes, what are you talking to my disciples about? What's going on? What are you discussing with them? Then without an opportunity at all for the scribes to respond to Jesus, then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son who was a mute spirit, and wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashing his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast him out, but they could not. The second way the enemy opposed the walk of the disciples in going to Jerusalem was demon possession. More literally, personal demonic assault. Sometimes we may uh, generally experience some kind of opposition. Or, you know, when we would travel to different places, we'd minister to different people all around the world, we would go to a certain place and we could, we could sense in the spirit a certain kind of oppression generally speaking. But then oppression also comes, in this case, in the form of possession individually. 
the enemy focuses on somebody and wants to discourage them. Even to the point where they're being afflicted physically. You know, when God created the heavens and the earth, he didn't have any intention for us to have any sickness, to, to, to die. He, did, he, didn't, he didn't want us to... His intention wasn't that we would, we would, we would see decay. What happened when sin came into the world, that's the, that's the process that, that was put into place when Adam and Eve ate the, the apple in the Garden of Eden. It started the process of decay. And whether you or I would like to admit it right now, uh, you're not getting better. <laughs> I'm definitely not 20 anymore. Lord bless you guys, you 20-year-olds. My body's peaked and it's going downhill. I wake up in the morning and I feel certain bones that I didn't know or muscles that I didn't know were there anymore. I'm like, this is not right. I got another 10 or 20 years before this stuff starts happening. I'm like, push me out, babe. Push me, push, push. And I roll out of bed. Not really. Just a little bit, though. Our bodies are breaking down. They're breaking down. That wasn't the original intention. God wanted us to be whole. God wanted us to be blessed. It was sin that caused these things. And it wasn't even necessarily a particular sin. Some of the Jews could have believed that it was for this family, but it didn't necessarily have to be a specific sin. It, it could have just been the condition that they were in, the sinful condition of the world. Notice what he says, too. He says, teacher, I brought you my son. They were looking for Jesus. And when people come to me, or hopefully when they come to you, what they're looking for is not help from you. Because when they say, hey, I need your help, so-and-so, just remember that you have to respond you need Jesus, because my capacity for help is super, super small, and his capacity is very large. Let's, let's direct where we're supposed to be seeking help from very clearly. Jesus is the one that we go to, and he, re, he says, uh, So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. I'm not sure how the disciples felt. Obviously, this is an object lesson that Jesus is trying to teach them. It could possibly be, I don't know exactly, but it could possibly be the reason that Jesus took only three up to the mountain with him is so that the others could have this lesson. He taught two lessons at the same time because if they'd all gone up, this wouldn't have happened. They would have met the boy and his dad. As soon as they came down, Jesus would have healed them and it would have been over. There's some commentators that believe that it wasn't Peter, James, and John that were closer to Jesus, and that's why he took them up on the top of the mountain. Some people believe that it was because they were the troublemakers, and he wanted to keep them close to himself. <laughs> okay, you three are with me. Babysitting time. Let's go. And then the others were down there. When Jesus comes, he's able to teach a lesson to not just... Uh, one group, but two groups, two separate lessons combined into one. He answered him and said, O oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him to him, 
And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, <clears throat> fell down to the ground, and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. Now, historically, anybody that had a deaf or a dumb spirit, specifically a deaf spirit, it was uh, it, 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 how they believed and how they tried to exercise demons. It was one of the hardest, if not impossible, demons to exercise in that day and age. And the reason why was that for you to be able to have control over the demon to cast it out, you had to call it by its name. That's what they believed. And if, a, and if a spirit is possessing somebody and, and is making them deaf, the person can't speak and say what the name of the demon is. So the demon retains control. This is just a thought process, okay? So they believe that it was harder in that time with this kind of situation. And they're all anticipating, wondering, does Jesus have the ability to do this to a greater capacity than any of our uh, demon exfoliators do? And Jesus comes, and as soon as the boy is brought to him, I believe the demon knows what's about to happen and tries to, to right at that moment, tries to its greatest ability to hurt him as much as possible. And that's another thing that the enemy does, guys. When he finds something where he's got a little, a, a, a little way in, the door's cracked a little bit, He's able to have some kind of authority in some area of our lives. He wants to take hold of it, seize it, and, and use it to the, the, the most extreme way he can. That's why it's important for us to recognize those things and respond to the Lord. Lord, I don't want this in my life at all, because the enemy will use it to whatever degree he can, but he doesn't have the right or the privilege to. Most of the time... It's the ability that we've given or we are open ourselves to. I guess something that I have to address this morning that I didn't think was necessary, but at the same time, I want to make sure that it's clear. It is not possible, and I'm, I've heard, listen, I've heard all the arguments. I've been in situations where people are demon-possessed. I have cast demons out of people. I've been in very demonic circumstances. I'm, I'm serious. I've experienced it. There is never any possible way whatsoever that a demon can possess a child of God. It's not possible. If you hear Christians talk about how they're being possessed by the demon, they're deceived. It's not possible. The Spirit of God cannot share an apartment with the spirit of the devil. A house divided against itself does not function, does not work. Either you are saved and you're filled with the spirit of God, or you're not saved and fully submitted to God, and you've allowed your room to be occupied by somebody else. This situation, this person is going to be delivered from a demonic spirit, this boy. And after that happens, and he comes to genuine faith in Jesus Christ, it's not possible for this spirit to possess him again. What we as Christians experience is oppression. Oppression is an evil spirit or the spirit of this world influence coming against you. You can feel a pressure, but it has no authority to come inside of you and make you do things that you don't want to do. It's not possible. 
This is clearly taught by the Bible, and I just, you know, I feel like it has to be brought up because nowadays it's, it, it, uh, people are confused about it. Maybe, maybe the devil's trying to get in me. He's not. If you love the Lord, he can't touch you. That's why they always were empty threats, accusers of the brethren. They always will be. They're always empty when it comes to the enemy trying to do something to you because he can't unless the Lord allows some kind of test or trial to come into your life. And sometimes that's just the Lord too. People would attribute it as spiritual warfare, but I think sometimes we forget that God needs to discipline us too. What son does a father not discipline? Oh, it's the devil. Maybe it's you. Maybe the Lord just needs to give you a couple pancakes. That's what I say to my daughter. I call them pancakes. You know, so I don't get arrested. But anyway. <laughs> so, <coughs> oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. And then they brought him to him, and he immediately the spirit convulsed him. He fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. The enemy seeks to steal, kill, and destroy any way possible that he can destroy your life, he will. What are some ways that the enemy wants to destroy your life in oppression as a believer today? Rumors. A great one. Pornography. If you think it's okay, the enemy's going to destroy you through an addiction that's going to Grab a hold of your life and you're not going to be able to address without the power of God. Alcohol, drugs, prescription drugs. The doors open a little bit and, and the enemy's like, oh, just, it's okay. Other people are doing it. Don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. Or this isn't gossip. <laughs> ask, it, ask in the form of a prayer request. Well, Jolene is asking that we pray for her because, you know, da 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 Can we just pray for her? <laughs> Those are a lot. That's a lot of details. How long has it been with him? He said, from childhood. And often he has thrown him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Notice what the father said to Jesus. What was that indicative of? If you can help him. Jesus said, if you can believe. I used to want to go to the bathroom when, uh, when I was in elementary school, and I had this one teacher. She was adamant about teaching us. I'm like, dude, can I go to the bathroom? I don't know. Can you? Well, yeah, I can, I think. Then ask me in the proper way. May I go to the bathroom? Yes, you may. You don't have to teach me all the time. You know, you know what? I, I got to go to the bathroom. Hurry up. Yeah, I can. I can heal your son. Can you believe? Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. 
Help my unbelief. This is one of those verses that are so beautiful and that should touch our hearts in truth. You know why? Because the level of unbelief or difficulty that that father was going through in that severe situation, we've all been there to some degree or another. I don't care how long you've been walking with the Lord. There was a question in his mind. I came to see Jesus. He wasn't here. His disciples couldn't cast out this demon. Can Jesus cast out this demon? Is it possible for my son to be healed? With God, all things are possible. With Jesus, there was an ability, and he redirects the Father to personal faith. All things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. What are you struggling with this morning that you've been praying for? You've been asking the Lord, Lord, help me with this. I need you. Your heart got to a place where you said, Lord, can you help me? It changed from a confidence or, or some kind of desire for help from God to a question. I'll tell you this morning that God wants to help you. He's for you. He's not against you. And if you've come to that place where you're questioning his ability in your life, maybe it's time for us to cry out to him and say, God, I believe I believe. I'm here, Lord. I'm at church. I'm here, Lord. I'm praying. I'm, I'm seeking you, Lord. I'm seeking you. Help my unbelief. Because we all have that question. That's the, fir- that's the third of the three ways that the enemy tries to bring confusion and ultimately oppression, uh, opposition. Number one, through other people, the scribes. Number two, personal demonic attack. Number three, in doubt. The boy's father saw the inability of the disciples and wonders if God is able and willing to meet his need in this way. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit saying, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. You like that? Jesus has complete authority. And it's not even a question. There's not even a sniffle. Jesus has no issue whatsoever. And as soon as he sees that this is going to be an even bigger uh, thing, a bigger expression than he than it needs to be he's all the people are running to see what he's going to do immediately get out of him deaf and dumb spirit and do not enter into him again you think that that's how god wants to work in our lives where he 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 handles things once and for all and it's over or that we can keep getting repossessed by the devil no one of the reasons that jesus had Uh, needed to say this now in this context, we have to remember 
that the Holy Spirit had not yet been given to the world. The Holy Spirit had not yet been given to the disciples. They were not able to house the Holy Spirit. Remember, Jesus said, it's better for you that I leave, because if I leave, then the one that's promised of the Father will be given to you and will dwell in you. But at this point, he's going to create a void when the Spirit's gone that potentially could, the, the, the Spirit could come back. But now we have the Holy Spirit. When we make a confession of faith in Jesus Christ and we ask the Father to give us His Holy Spirit, there's no room left for, for any other occupants, no roommates. The Spirit of God dwells in us. We become the temple of the Holy Spirit. Then the Spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him, and he became as one dead, so that many said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. You know, a lot of times what has to happen is that things have to get worse before they get better. This, this, this child fell down dead, and everybody, I'm sure that they were still thinking, you know, like, oh, great, now Jesus made it even worse. At least he doesn't have a demon anymore, but the kid's dead. Good job, Jesus. But unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it cannot bear fruit. I think this is also symbolic of this child dying to the way the world and the spirit of this world used to control him. And what did Jesus do? He raised him to newness of life. He resurrected him. And when God deals with things in our lives that need to be dead, his intentions aren't just to kill the thing that used to dominate us or to kill the thing that tried to control us. His intention is to kill that thing so we can be raised to life. Because unless that thing is dead, we cannot be raised to life. And he became as one dead so that many said, he's dead. <laughs> but Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. They, you know, it is interesting that they waited till they were alone. <laughs> They're not going to be, hey, Jesus, how come we couldn't cast it out in front of everybody? They're like, shh, shh let's, talk, let's talk about it later. <laughs> we don't know why we couldn't do it. Let's wait. So they, they wait till they're privately in the house. Hey, what was going on? Jesus, we tried. And he said, this kind cannot come out except for prayer and fasting. We're not talking about here uh, of a work. We're not talking about a give and take. We're not talking about God saying, if you do this for me, then I'll do this for you, which is what many people believe their relationship with God looks like. Prayer and fasting is a way to align us more completely with God's intentions, His will, and the Holy Spirit. So we are more in tune with God. Prayer is that lifeline. It's a means of communication. One of the things that I would say came up as an undiscussed theme yesterday at the men's conference was prayer. You know why? Because men need to pray. 
Because men need to lead their families and their friends, and men need to step up, and the best way that they can do that is by aligning their will with God's and being in the right place to lead people, because we can't do it of ourselves. We can't. What does fasting do? Fasting. Remember last week when we talked about (laughs) self-denial? A great way to deny the flesh is to to deny feeding it. My dad used to have this joke he'd say all the time. And I, you know, when I was little, I didn't think it was so funny. But now as I get older, I think it's hilarious. I'd have to clean up. You guys know, I've told a couple stories about how we had these dogs in this dog run. And I'd have to clean up the dog poo. And I'd always clean up the dog poo. He said, well, if you feed them less, they'll poop less. Like, thanks a lot. I can't feed them less. They'll die. (laughs) Okay, we'll go clean it up. (laughs) Don't feed the flesh. Don't allow the enemy to influence us in a way that we're going in the wrong direction. When I feed the flesh... I give the flesh control. I give it power. I can't explain to you how I feel after I eat a double-double. I feel empowered (laughs) to do something great. Usually it's go to the bathroom, but just kidding. It hurts. No, when I eat fatty foods, it's not good for you. That's what I mean. That really digressed quickly. I, I apologize. That was not my intention. It was not my intention. When you feed the flesh, I, I talked to a brother one time. I'm going to tell you guys this story. It's a little, it's a little, it's a little uh, borderline, but, but please bear with me. I was talking to a brother once who was struggling with, with sin. And he was a believer. He went to church. This was a long time ago. And he had an affair. And we were talking, we were doing some counseling. He was talking to me about how he couldn't believe that he did it. And he was just, he was, he was beside himself. And you know what he said snapped him out of it. He said, this affair was happening. And what snapped me out of it was after a meeting with this woman that I had, I met with her. She said to me, doesn't it feel good to feed the flesh? And he was just broken. Because he realized that's exactly what he was doing. He was feeding the flesh. And that's the opposite of denial, denying the flesh. So when we fast, we deny the flesh. And we say our intention, our hope to be aligned with the will of God is greater. My my desire to be aligned with the will of God is greater than what my flesh tells me than the direction my flesh is trying to take me. From the things my flesh tells me I want to watch on TV, from the things my flesh tells me I want to hear, or the style of music, or the gossip, or the opinions I have about others, or etc., etc. That's the flesh. This, these only come out with prayer and fasting. Jesus, this is a good example of the Son being perfectly in tune with the Father. And what is he telling his disciples in this lesson? This is a lesson he's teaching them. How close do you want to be to God? Do you want to be so close where you're exercising that line of communication regularly? You're suppressing the appetites of the physical body 
You're crucifying the flesh regularly to the point where you have authority in situations that you normally wouldn't because you're more aligned with the Spirit of God, that you're more aligned with the will of God. And you and I both know, we both know fasting is no fun. It's no fun. But when I do it, there is a literal feeling I feel, I literally feel there's a dying to the flesh. I think I've told this story before, but I have to tell it again because it's so, it, 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 it so impacted me as a young believer. I went over to college in Hungary, and I made this friend who was an amazing man. This man was incredible. I talked about manly men yesterday at the men's conference. This is one of those guys that I wanted to be like. He was training to be a Navy SEAL. And one of the exercises that they were doing while he was training, I have no doubt in my mind that he would have made it. One of the exercises that he was doing where he was going deep underwater and deep water diving, something happened and it messed him up and it disqualified him from finishing uh, testing for the Navy SEALs. So instead of pursuing a career in the military, he got out and started walking with the Lord and, and he was still like, he looked like a dude that was a man that, you know, he was just a man's man. We'd work out together every day. We'd study the Bible together every day. And one day we were taking the train into Budapest. And we were getting on the train and we were going to Budapest and I had packed myself a nice little sandwich and an apple because I'm hungry all the time, it seems like. I'm always hungry. And I said, hey, bro, I got a sandwich and an apple and, you know, whatever you want. You want some. Let's split the sandwich in half. We could share. He's like, no, thanks. I'm like, come on, man. Don't be prideful. I got you some food. You know, have a have a half a sandwich with me. We're going to have some fellowship. Acts 242, breaking the bread. Come on. He's like, I don't want any. I'm like, dude, I know you didn't eat breakfast. We catch the train at five o'clock. You know, come on. He's like, listen, man, don't be a punk. I'm fasting right now. Okay, I don't want to eat. I'm like, oh, you're fasting? Well, that's cool. You know, what are you fasting for? You seeking the Lord? Because this is how I was, you know? I'm <laughs> just so <laughs> annoying. <laughs> Why are you fasting, bro? What are you doing? You know, how's it going? What's going on? Is he, are you seeking the Lord about something in the future, the past? Are you, are you asking him for something? He's like, no, no, I'm just, I'm just fasting. I'm like, what do you mean you're just fasting? Every time I fast, it's for a reason. God, help me. God, I need this. God, take this. I'm going to crucify the flesh like, you know, what's up? What's the reason? He said, okay, I'll tell you. Every once in a while, pretty frequently, I fast for three to seven days just so that I can teach the flesh that I'm the one in control and not it. I want it to know, I want my flesh to know that it has no power or control over me. And I fast to teach it a lesson and say, you don't have any control. I can take control away from you just like that. I'm not eating for a couple days. And I was like, dude, that's so heavy, bro. I can't do that. It's an extreme example. There were spiritual reasons why we should fast. Right here we see it is to get closer to the Lord, but it also very practically shows the flesh that it's not in control. It shows the flesh that your intentions are to follow the will of God, not your own will. And that's important for us today because I feel like the flesh 
more and more through our culture is given more and more power and control. Do what you want to do. Identify how you want to identify. Do, you know, all people do what was right in their own eyes. That's the flesh. Self-will. Notice this, verse 30. Then they departed from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know it, for he taught his disciples and said to, said to them, The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And after he is killed, he will rise on the third day. But they did not understand this saying and were afraid to ask him. Notice a couple things with me as we close up. These are the last verses that we're reading today. A couple things. They departed from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know it. Jesus is on a mission. He's witnessed. He's testified. All of Galilee knows who he is. They know where he stands, and they had opportunity to respond to him. Now he's going to Jerusalem. The next thing. For he taught his disciples and said to them, The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And after he is killed, he will rise on the third day. This thing that he says comes right on the tail end of teaching them that if you want to have control over the flesh, you need to tap into walking in the Spirit. He says prayer and fasting. And then he shows practically what extent he's willing to go to be in obedience to the Father. This is the second time he predicts his death and resurrection. Last week we saw the first. As we continue the next uh, three weeks after this, we see he's going to do it a third time. Always re-emphasizing back to the disciples what his purpose was, how they have to be in a place of submission to God, and how they will continue to be able to walk in the will of God in that state. What was the first one? The enemy in the scribes. The scribes represent people. I don't know who you're struggling with. You got a, who's got a bad attitude, a coworker, a family, a friend. You don't, you don't wrestle against flesh and blood. You don't have to receive the words, the evil words that people speak to you. The enemy comes in opposition. Number two, the enemy is manifested through Spiritual warfare, personal demonic attack. And you can ask the Lord, Lord, rebuke, rebuke the enemy on my behalf. Lead us not into temptation. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I mean, Jesus taught us how to pray, even in opposition to the enemy. Number three, in doubt. The enemy comes in doubt. Can God... Would God, will God. It reminds me of the manipulation of God's words in Satan's lips in the Garden of Eden to Eve. Did God really say? And what those words did for Eve were planted a seed of doubt that ended up being manifested and causing her husband Adam to follow suit the same way that she'd done doubt if you can believe all things are possible to him who believes let's pray father we thank you for teaching us today we want to learn we want to be in a place where we understand 
what we're going through. We want to understand what the opposition is that we're, that we're receiving. We know that it's not from you. We know that it's, whether it's through people, other people, whether it's through spiritual warfare, whether it's through doubt, that, that nothing is impossible for you. You can do all things in those who believe. We believe, Lord. Help our unbelief. God, we need you. And we thank you for speaking to us and teaching us. Bless this week. Allow us to be filled with your spirit and seek you. In Jesus' name, amen.